Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you here. Um, thanks for welcoming us. Thanks for hosting us. We um, one of the fun things about being here is we just got to see a bobcat cross outside. So um, that didn't happen at the church we were at in East Texas. So um, yeah, thanks. Pray for us this week. We I'm going to Denver for staff training. Pray for RUF at large in general. Um, because it's always a trying time. There seems to be spiritual warfare that happens, um, especially at Denver training when campus ministers and staff workers leave their families um, to go be in Denver and families are at home. And it seems like water heaters break and furnaces go off. And it doesn't matter as much here because we're not in New York City or something like that. Um, but our car this morning wouldn't start. So um, pray for us in the midst of the stress and the chaos of all of that. So thanks. We covet your prayers. Um, like one of the beautiful things about Advent is this longing that it seeks to create in our hearts. That's why we have this anticipation of weekly lighting a candle that it culminates on Christmas Day with the Christ candle and this, the incarnation of God coming to be with us. There's a sense of longing that's cultivated. This also picked up in the world at large, in the Western world outside of Christianity and outside of the context of the church around the holiday seasons. We are in this stretch between Thanksgiving and Christmas where people's minds begin to focus on home. And there's this cultural imagination about home, and you hear it in the different songs that are sung at Christmas time, whether it's I'll Be Home for Christmas, or even I'll, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, or No Place Like Home for the Holidays, or even some Christmas movies like Home Alone, where a mom is trying to go home to find her son, or even um, Elf, where Buddy the Elf is looking for his home with his parents. There's this sense that home is on our minds in this time of year. For some of you, you're going home to where you grew up to be with your parents or your grandparents, and so it's on your mind. For some of you, your family members are coming here to your home, so home is on your mind. For some of us who lost a loved one in the past year or the past several years, home is especially on our minds, and it's very painful to think about. But wherever you are on the spectrum, whether you're a Christian or not, wherever you find yourself this morning, the holidays draw our hearts to thinking about and longing for home. That's what Advent taps into, and I think that's what this passage, this psalm in Psalm 84 taps into as well. So will you turn to God's Word in Psalm 84? I'm going to read it for us, and then I'll pray, and then we'll begin to explore it. This is Psalm 84. To the choir master according to the Gitta, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways of Zion. 
As they go through the valley of Bacah, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield. O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Will you pray with me? Father, we ask this morning that you, through your spirit, would be present. We know that you're present because you're present with your people as they worship, but we ask that you would be especially present in our hearts, teaching us, growing us, shaping our hearts in love, shaping our minds and our imaginations that we might begin to look more like Jesus by loving you more because we realize the depths of your love for us. We trust that you do that. You've promised to do that. Use the Holy Spirit that inspired these words and that lives in our hearts to do that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. She was charming. She was friendly. She was sometimes helpful. She sang fun little jingles, but she was also frustrating because she could never remember. She could never remember anything. And then in a flash, Dory, the blue tang fish from Finding Nemo and Finding Dory, remembers. She remembers something and she races off to tell her friend Marlin and his son and her friend Nemo that she remembers. She remembers that she has a home. She has a home with a mother and a father. She wants to find her home. She longs to find home. Her homesickness grows in her, and that drives her to just keep swimming all the way across the ocean, longing for home. For Dory, what's the home that she's homesick for? It's a home with her parents, a place where she is simultaneously known and loved, a place where she belongs. I think when we're honest with ourselves, this is true of us too. Deep down, we know that we have a home that's not where we live right now. But far too often, our homesickness drives us to try out many other homes instead of pursuing the true home. We try to carve out a place where we belong and are accepted. And this drives, I'd say, a lot of the students that I work with into picking a a certain major because they feel like they're going to be at home there or into joining a certain club or an organization to be at home there. It drove many of you to, into a certain field of study or a field of work. It drove some of you who are married to get married to your spouse because of that sense and that longing for home. For those of you who aren't married, it drives you as well. A home with a roommate or a longing to be home with your parents. Maybe home to leave your parents' house and find another home when you left college or when you went off to college. 
For some of us who keep going after college, some of the times that home drives you back to be with your parents or back to be in your hometown. Maybe you've been thinking right now of moving back to some hometown or you're visiting, thinking about coming back here to home. So what drives some of us um, to look for home in dangerous and destructive things? The hookup culture that's so prevalent in a younger society and really older people as well. It's been going on from really the beginning of time. We fill our lives with distractions because of the longing of home, whether it's certain addictions that we don't want to admit or certain addictions like device addictions that we laugh off. Then we look for home in neither good nor bad things. For those, sometimes it's like finding a community finding a social organization, or even finding a church, which is often a good thing. Deep down, we are longing for a place where we'll be known and we'll be loved. A place where we'll be home. But the Bible proposes that home for human beings is not with a place, not with a particular human person, but it's with God. That we cannot find our home apart from God. You were created for home with God. Every human being was created to have a home in relationship with God. Every human being was created to be at home in God's presence. God created the very first human beings and made a home with them in the Garden of Eden. Made a home for them and then with them. Daily, regularly, they would spend time in His presence. At home. Later in the Bible, after rescuing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, God set up home in the midst of their camp with a tabernacle. He even went so far as to set laws to help them to know how to live well with Him in their home, with them in His presence, home with Him. Their home with God dwelling in their midst. Throughout the time of the judges, in the time just before King David, God's people would yo-yo back and forth between, between trying to find home in the idols, in the other cultures, and home in the presence of God with the ark and the true worship of the living God. King David desires to build a dwelling place, a temple for God, so God's home would be with His people. Instead, God gives that privilege to God's son Solomon, and God creates a home, a temple there in His midst. Then God drives the people when they're finding their home in other places often to exile to prove to them that his, their home is not a place, but it's with Him. And He allows them to come back. And He creates this longing inside of them for the Messiah that we read about in Isaiah 55. This longing for home that is going to be perfect that somebody's going to bring to them. That home is in God's presence. Deep down, human beings, and especially God's people, realize that home is where God is. But because of the first human being's sin, we simultaneously long for and run from home with God. God gives us this psalm to invite us to remember that our only home is with Him. Amidst all the other places and people and distractions that invite us to camp out with them in their midst... God uses this psalm to begin to reshape our hearts and our imaginations, to begin to think about home with Him. 
Look how it opens. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts or the inner chambers of the Lord. Look at some of the verses in the rest of it. We're just going to skim through real quick. Look at verse 3. Birds finding home and nests in God's altar. Verse 4, people blessed to dwell in God's house. Verse 7, appearing before God, His presence, His home. Verse 10, a desire to be a doorkeeper in the house or the home of God. As we read through this psalm, as you imagine God's people back before Jesus' time, and Jesus' time, singing this psalm, we can imagine this longing growing in their hearts and their minds to find home with God. God reshaping their affections for the true home. It's as if He is trying to cultivate longing in us even today. This psalm is dripping with longing. Listen to that first line again. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. What's it saying? There's this intensity of longing that we can have that makes us almost faint because we're longing and don't yet have what we long for. Can you remember your first crush? Or maybe the first time that you saw your spouse and you were in a conversation with her, with him. Those butterflies that would happen that you hoped that he or she would look your direction that she would show you affection, that he would come your way. So much so that you would be consumed in your mind. The butterflies would overtake you so that at night you wouldn't be able to sleep. And then the next day you couldn't stay awake because you didn't sleep the night before and you're falling asleep at work or in school because of that longing, that love sickness in your heart. Your strength is gone because of that love sickness. This psalm is seeking to cultivate a lovesickness or homesickness in you, in me, for God. Now I confess that amidst all the distractions of life, of ministry, of family, of work, of devices and entertainment, that I don't often have that homesickness and I don't notice that homesickness in my heart. My guess is you don't either. C.S. Lewis famously once wrote, and you've probably heard this quote, but I think it's worth reading again. He, he wrote, I, It would seem that our, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. So how can we begin to participate with this psalm to cultivate that longing in our hearts? Look at the first line again. What does it say? How lovely is your dwelling place? The rest of the cultivating flows from there. The psalm is inviting us to meditate on God's loveliness, on God's beauty. Our hearts are drawn to what we believe to be beautiful, whether it's a painting You're captivated and moved towards it because you know it's that place in the museum or that place at the exhibition, the exhibit. Whether it's a person and you're drawn to them and you want to be in conversation with them because they are beautiful, whether it's physically or not. Maybe it's a place in the mountains or Mount Lemon or in a canyon 
where you go and you're drawn to. Our hearts are drawn to beautiful things and beautiful people. Have you seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? For some of us, that's too old. We're too young to see it because it it can be a very brutal movie. But if you're old enough and can stomach some R-rated movies, it's well worth watching because it tells a story in some ways of redemption. In this movie, Tim Robbins plays a character who's been falsely accused of murder named Andy. And then he meets another man in prison named Red Reddington, played by Morgan Freeman. And then it's set in this men's prison in Maine in 1947. There's lots of cruelty against the inmates. And lots of corruption from the warden. And there's this one scene on one hot summer day that Andy Dufresne, who's gained some favor with the warden, finds this vinyl record of the marriage of Figaro. And he, having privilege, has access to one of the offices where the loudspeaker projects over the whole of the prison. So Andy takes this vinyl, takes it out of the sleeve, and he sets it on the record player. He sets the needle He sets the phone coming out in the right direction and he turns the mic for the PA system right against it and turns it on. And he begins to play the album. Two beautiful sopranos are singing and this beautiful music is singing and proclaiming out over the whole of this dire, miserable circumstance. But all of the prisoners drop what they're doing because they're captivated by the beauty of these two voices. They just stand and they look up at the loudspeaker because they have not heard any beauty like that since they've been in prison. The scene cuts to guards beating on the door and finally breaking through the door and ripping the album off the player and hauling Andy off to silent, uh, to solitary confinement. And as they're doing that, Morgan Freeman's voice comes as the narrator over the scene. He says, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful that it cannot be expressed in words and it makes your heart ache because of it. When we believe something is beautiful, our hearts ache. Yes, faint for it because of them. What of God's beauty might we meditate on here in this psalm? I think there's three things that we can meditate on. God's generosity, God's faithfulness, and God's mercy. We're going to look at each of those things. We must meditate on the beauty of God's generosity. To know God is to know His generosity. Look at the ways that God shows His generosity in this psalm. Verse 3, Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. He gives a home and a shelter to the most helpless of creatures in His home. He gives away. But he cares immensely more for his people. Look at the end of verse 11. The Lord bestows favor and honor, or gives favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And who are those who walk uprightly? Look at verse 12. It tells us that those are the people who trust in him. 
says, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Walking uprightly is not having all your acts together, but trusting in the Lord as you seek to walk and follow Him. The people are united to Him through His love. The Lord is abundant in His generosity. He gives good gifts. He gives abundant honor to His people when they don't deserve it. People who would often scorn Him instead. God is generous, and this should grow our longing for Him as our home. In the day of the psalm writers, in the day of even of Jesus, in some cultures today, hospitality and generosity were marks of beauty. There's part of the culture that you are beautiful when you're seen as generous. I think to a certain level we have that with, in our culture as well. Our imaginations are captivated by people who are generous. Think of Bella and Melinda Gates. Now, they're beautiful and attractive because of Microsoft to a certain level, because of their success. But what more captivates our imaginations and our hearts of their beauty now is their generosity, the millions and millions of dollars that they give away from people who are not entitled to it just because they're being generous. Think about Mother Teresa, a woman who is so generous She lays down her life with the whole of her life. Whether you agree with her theology or not, people are captivated by the beautiful way she lived her life. Even bent over into her old age, people commented on her beauty. Generosity is a sign of beauty that captivates our hearts. God is beautiful because He is generous. Look for the ways that God has been generous to you. Meditate. Think regularly how He has physically provided for you. For the family that you were born into. For the friends that you've had growing up. For the family that brought you to be with them. For the college education that you got or that you're getting. For the resources that you have, even when it feels like it's just a little bit. For the skills, for the gifts that He's given you. The children He's given you. The friends, the job, the opportunities. Meditate on His spiritual generosity towards you. To bestow honor on you when you didn't deserve it. To share the honor of the Son of God with you when you were poor but proud in your sin. Too poor and proud to receive it. But He opened your heart so you would out of His generosity. To give you community to follow after Him together. The community of this church. The community of Christians at large. Use Advent, use Christmas time to think about God giving Himself to come here for you. Focus on the generosity of God becoming human. I encourage you to write the ways that God has been generous to you down. Look at it for the next several days. That's what meditation is. And then begin to let it shape your day, shape how you interact with Him. Shape how you trust Him as a giving and generous person, person, personal God. Let it shape how you relate to other people because God has been generous to you, inviting you to be generous to other people. Meditating on the beauty of His generosity will cultivate the longing in your heart for Him as your home. This psalm also invites us to meditate on the beauty of His faithfulness. 
To journey on our way is to experience God's faithfulness. Look at verses 5 through 7. It reads, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. God faithfully strengthens His people for the journey to find their home in Him. He doesn't abandon them and tell them to meet Him there, to catch an Uber, to call a taxi, to show up and meet Him over at the temple. No, He comes to pick them up and bring them with Him. He gives them strength. He refreshes them in dry valleys, which is the Valley of Baca. So much so that it's as if springs and pools were there because they're so filled with the presence of His faithfulness that He sustains them all the way through. They don't see the desolation because they're so refreshed by His faithfulness and His strength. So how does He do this? He actively does works His word in their hearts. Look again at verse 5. He says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you in whose heart are the highways to Zion. It's as if a map to Zion, to the temple, is in their hearts because the word is in their hearts. It reminds them who he is as their covenant faithful God. It reminds them who they are as his people, as the object of his affections. He give, he's given them their word that they might be strengthened. The Psalms say it's a lamp to their feet, a light to their path, that it's sweeter than honey, that it refreshes them. Even when they are famished, when their soul is dry. Not because it tells us more of what to do, but because it reminds us of what He has done for us and how He is faithful to you. That's how He strengthens you with His Word. His faithfulness to strengthen His people is a reflection of His beauty. Derek Redman was an internationally renowned British sprinter. In the 1992 Olympics, he was off to a great start, possibly to medal. He ran the fastest time in the first round of all the heats of the 400-meter race. He easily won the quarterfinal race, and he started his semifinal race off well. But as he came to the back 250 meters of the race, something dreadful happened. In uh, what is now a famous video that's played every Olympics, you see him pull up. Something is wrong. He begins to limp because his hamstring has torn, and all the other sprinters begin to sprint just past him. The stretcher bearers begin to jog out onto the track to carry him because he is just limping along. But then something else in the video, in the scene, happens as well. Another person sprints past the stretcher bearers, sprints past the guards, and sprints to Derek. And it's his father, Jim. Jim puts his arm under and around his son and begins to help him finish the race, bearing him in his own strength because he loves him. That's what God the Father does for you and for me. He is beautiful because He faithfully strengthens His people for the journey. Meditate on His beautiful faithfulness. Cultivate a longing for Him as you, as your home in your hearts. Look for ways that God has strengthened you now. That He's strengthened you already. Read the Word. 
to remember His promises. Read it as an individual. Read it as families. Read it as a community. Think about it on Sunday mornings as a time to remind you of His faithfulness. That He gives you brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in the faith to grieve with you when you're grieving. To laugh when you, when all you can do is laugh because the darkness feels so dark. He gives you His Spirit to comfort you when times are hard, to strengthen you when you face obstacles. Look for ways that He's offering strength. He does it in preaching that points you to His love through Jesus. He does it again in Advent when we see His faithfulness coming like a train down the track. When light entered darkness. Meditated on it in the Lord's Supper. As you taste the bread, as you drink the wine, remembering that in His faithfulness He laid down His life for you. He is beautiful because He is faithfully strengthening His people for the journey. Meditate on that. Meditate on the beauty of God's mercy. To worship in God's presence is to worship by His mercy. This psalm initially was sung as a psalm for the journey to the temple. The temple in Jerusalem. The whole worship system is set up to remind God's people of God's mercy. Look at verse 3. The altar the courts. This is the house of God. In the original meaning, it meant the temple. The temple partly, I'd say in a lot of ways, looked and smelled like a slaughterhouse of animal sacrifice. Blood running through a trough out of the area where you could hear the bleeding of the animals. You could smell and see the blood. You could smell the animals roasting and smelling like a great barbecue. Their senses are filled with remembering the price of their sin. That sin deserves death. But also remembering that God is merciful and put those sins and the consequence for sin on somebody else. On a spotless animal to die in their place. Sin is self-centeredness. God is outward facing in his love. A self-centered person would be destroyed and consumed by God's love because God's love is so holy and outward facing. So in God's mercy, he provided a way. God's mercy magnifies his beauty and should cause us to long to be at home with him. Many of us in this room, I assume, have seen the musical Les Miserables or seen the movie. What makes that musical beautiful? The mercy. The mercy is what makes it beautiful. The convict Jean Valjean steals silver from the bishop and whacks him over the head with it and then runs off. Then when he's got caught by the police and they bring him back, the bishop who's been captivated by God's mercy says to him, you forgot the silver candlesticks as well. Mercy transforms the convict Jean Valjean into a man of mercy who becomes beautiful in the eyes of everybody else. 
he becomes known as a man of mercy. Compare him to Javert, the prison guard who becomes a police officer. He is a man of justice, captivated by the law. Justice must be met. He believes mercy is not compatible with justice. People must pay for their crimes. And over and over again throughout the story, people are drawn to the transformed Jean Valjean, the man of mercy, rather, and they flee Javert, the man of justice. People bring other people to Jean Valjean. They go to him for help. They seek his counsel. Mercy is beautiful and creates a longing that draws people to him. So much so that a woman dying gives him her daughter to adopt and be the father of. Mercy draws the listener in to the music because the music is filled with mercy. Hear these words from the second to last song in the musical. Valjean is on his deathbed in his old age, going home in God's mercy. And his daughter and her new husband are there with him, and he's speaking and singing with them. He says, yes, Cosette, his daughter, forbid me now to die. I'll obey, I'll obey. I will try. On this page, I write my last confession. Read it well when I at last am sleeping. It is the story of those who always loved you. Your mother gave her life for you, then gave you to my keeping. Then Jean Valjean dies. And into the scene comes the spirit of another woman, Fantine, who is Cosette's mother. And she says, come with me. Where chains will never bind you. All your grief at last, at last behind you. Lord in heaven, look down on him in mercy. Les Miserables is a beautiful musical because it makes our hearts ache. It is a, a story in the midst of misery about mercy. Look for God's mercy in your life. Fix your eyes constantly on God's mercy. That's meditation. This is the only true thing that will bring you home. It's the only thing that will cause you to turn away from all the other false homes that you're tempted to go to every day. When you're tempted to find your home in the tent of the wicked, in the pathways of sin and selfishness, whatever specific temptation that is for you, that will not satisfy. Look at God's mercy and that will draw you past those other things to home. Not shaming yourself, not Anything else can melt your heart but God's mercy. Creating a longing in you so you continue on your journey to his presence. God's beautiful mercy will grow an insatiable longing in your heart. Don't focus on what you have to do. Focus on what he has done for you in his beautiful mercy. Finding Dory is a beautiful story of homegoing. As Dory gets closer to home, her memories grow and her longing increase as she sees signs of what she used to know. She remembers more and more of her parents' love. But then something awful happens, something terrifying. She gets dumped back out into a kelp forest or into the middle of the ocean and in her fear forgets everything. She sees passerby fish and she says, help me. I can't find them. I don't know who I'm looking for. Help me. She gets so frustrated, so full of shame because she cannot remember. But then she sees something familiar. She sees a kelp forest and swims to the bottom of it. Then she sees something familiar again 
She sees shells, a trail of shells that she remembers slightly from her childhood. She begins to follow it. And as she gets closer to the middle of these shells, she sees that there's this star radiating, radiating, out, radiating out in many directions. She looks around, and in the distance she sees two fish. She begins to shout out, Hi, I'm Dory, but she's cut off. By these two fish, she scream out her name, Dory, and they begin to sprint to her. They get to her, embrace her, spin around with her. It's her, her mother and her father. She is home at last. She's reunited with them. They've never stopped, never given up, looking for her, laying a path for her, preparing a way for her. No more fear, no more lostness. She was home. Sisters, brothers, friends, in his generous, faithful, merciful love, God has laid a path for you, for me, to draw us home. But he doesn't do it with shells. He's placed a longing in our hearts. He gives us his promises to woo us. He didn't just wait for us. That's what we celebrate in Advent. That's what we celebrate in Christmas, that he came for us. He came for you to bring you home to himself. Entering into creation as a helpless baby, coming after you, He came searching for us, running down the path after us, swimming across the universe for us. Never stopping, never giving up, searching and pursuing you and me. Even if you're not convinced here this morning, even if you were convinced a few weeks ago and you're just wrestling with doubts, God is searching for you, wooing you with his faithfulness, with his mercy, with his beauty so that he might bring us home to himself in his generosity. He gave his son for you in his faithfulness. He gives you strength through his spirit that you might be equipped to follow him. In his mercy, he became the sacrifice for our sins, for our rebellion and our running away from his home. But home is not just heaven. We don't just escape to go up to heaven. Home is here. God came here to rescue us. And he, the beautiful thing of Advent, so we don't just look back, we look forward to the second coming of Jesus. We have a pledge now, a foretaste in the table that we get to take this morning where God's greater promise of his presence is a tactile reminder. But God reminds us in Revelation that was read this morning that I'll read again right now. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and a new heaven, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the home of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be their mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is where we're headed. Home. Where God is your strength. Home. Where God is your shield. Home. Where God, 
is the sunshine on your face that warms you. Home where you're not just the doorkeeper, but you're a daughter or you're a son of the living God. Home where we are known in all of our sin, but still loved by a father who sent his son to rescue you. Long for home because it's where we're heading. Let your life be shaped by that longing as you interact with God, as you interact with each other, as you go out into the stress of the holiday season. Let that longing be cultivated more and more that you might look and find him as your home. Will you pray with me? Father, we desperately need you. We desperately need you to work in our hearts to woo us, to woo us with your word that is true, to woo us with affection that you have for us that is found in your word. Some of us struggle to believe that affection. We might believe that you are generous, that you are faithful, and that you are merciful to other people, but not to us. But we pray that you would obliterate that lie, that we might know that your generosity and your faithfulness and your mercy and your beauty is for us individually. Help us to believe that. We can't do that on our own. We ask that your spirit must work, that it would melt our hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, that we might rest we might love because you loved us first. Help us to find our home in you, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.